Welcome back to the Foul Balls podcast for NFL Week 5. Back after a few days off because there's been no baseball. But we've also got basketball starting a couple weeks, which I'm pretty excited about. But Week 4 was a good one in football. Looking forward to Week 5. First game on the schedule, Jacksonville Jaguars at the Pittsburgh Steelers. Matt, what information do you have from Vegas for this game? So this is a pretty lopsided game. It may not be quite as lopsided as it appears just based on the names of these teams. But Vegas might also be a little off here. So the spread is minus 8.5 for Pittsburgh. The total is 44.5. It's moved down to 43.5 actually with a decent amount of public betting on the under. But the spread bets are actually fairly split. The public is 47% on Jacksonville, so 53% on Pittsburgh. That's pretty unusual for a game with a large spread. Usually the public just bets on the big favorite. So we might be seeing a situation where a big favorite is actually a little bit undervalued. I'm not sure if that's the case, but it's definitely not true that the public is biased towards Pittsburgh here because I think at the very least this line is fair. Yeah, so first off, a couple of things here. The Jacksonville Jaguars have such a weird makeup for their team. Because their DVOA ratings, their defense is 7th overall this year, but they're ranked number 1 against the pass and dead last 32 against the run, which I'm going to assume that's never happened for a full season because I don't know how it's possible that a team has good enough defensive players that they're the best team in the NFL against the pass and then just the worst against the run. But they've just been getting murdered by running backs and bad running backs. Like Bilal Powell had, what was it, like 15 carries for like 130 yards against them last week and a ridiculous 75-yard touchdown run. And obviously, Le'Veon Bell is a much better player than is Bilal Powell, and the, the Steelers are overall a better team. So I think the play that really makes sense for this game is the Steelers' defense with Le'Veon Bell for that correlation, because assuming the Steelers' defense plays really well against the poor Jaguars' offense, then we're just going to have a situation where the Steelers are going to be burning out the clock at the end of the game, just pounding the ball to Bell, who should see 30 to 35 touches, because I mean, that's kind of the standard for him, is that he gets 30-plus touches every game. And against the worst run defense in the NFL, that's just such a strong spot. So he is very expensive. He's 9500 on DraftKings. But with that said, if you're spending up for somebody and if there's enough value on the slate, Le'Veon Bell 9500 is it just has the highest expected point output amongst any player by a really wide margin. I think you're actually underselling how bad the Jaguars were against the run last week because Elijah McGuire, I think that's who it was, had a long touchdown run too. They were torched by the Jets, and that's just a really odd thing that you can be the best at one kind of defense and the worst at another kind of defense. But we've talked about this before, that Le'Veon Bell is kind of just matchup proof. He's good enough that you can use him in any matchup, and this this isn't a matchup where it's even remotely difficult. There's also the potential impact of the Steelers having a lead and giving Bell the ball more just because they figure to be winning at the end of the game. So Bell, I think, is not only the safest player to use, he's probably the guy with the most upside also, which is a pretty awesome combination. So I'm in full agreement on Le'Veon Bell. Steelers' defense makes a ton of sense. Is there anyone else you're looking at from this game? Not really. I mean, if you just look at, since the Jaguars have the number one pass defense, I just don't think that the Ben Roethlisberger-Antonio Brown combination makes a ton of sense. And, I mean, it's just it just has to be about Le'Veon Bell for me because Roethlisberger and Brown are still really expensive, so... I think that's the place to target. You could use the Steelers' defense and just avoid the Jaguars' team as a whole. So the next game on the slate, Arizona Cardinals at the Philadelphia Eagles. What is the spread, and is there any sharp movement on this game, Matt? 
The Eagles open at minus six. The line's six and a half now. Total of 45 and a half is down to 45. I don't think we have a ton of sharp action here yet. It looks like there is a pretty big divide between what the public is doing with the money line versus what the sharps are doing with the money line. Most of the money line bets are going on Philly, but the bigger ones are in Arizona. There also are some pretty heavy bets on the over. So it could be... We could be looking at a game where both teams have sort of a defensive reputation, but it might be more offensive, more offensively inclined than people realize. But there, overall, there's just not a ton to look at here. I think maybe there's a little bit of value on their offenses, but these teams, I don't think there's a lot that Vegas has wrong here. Yeah, it's not an overly interesting game. Uh, one thing that we do have to keep an eye on is Darren Sproles, obviously, last week, uh, some or two weeks ago now, somehow broke his wrist and tore his ACL on the same exact play. And the Eagles split carries last week between Wendell Smallwood and LeGarrette Blunt. Both of them had pretty good games. Smallwood's questionable to play. If Smallwood isn't able to play, then LeGarrette Blunt is 4,200 on DraftKings. makes a ton of sense as a value play. If both of them play, I think Smallwood makes more sense just because he's the PPR upside. They use him a lot as a pass-catching back. So Smallwood at 4,600 I think makes sense if he's active. If he's out, then Blunt 4,200 is a really strong value play. Other than that, not really a ton of interest in the Cardinals' side of the game. Uh, I also think on Philadelphia, Zach Ertz makes some sense just because he's been really good this year. He's been the second highest producing fantasy tight end behind uh, Gronkowski. And Arizona is ranked 22nd in DVOA at defending tight end. So plus matchup for Ertz. So I think that's a decent spot. One of the things with Arizona that kind of confuses me, maybe you have some insight here, is where their targets are going. Because I think all four of their top receivers were active last week. John Brown and J.J. Nelson were both questionable. But I think those guys both played, and obviously Fitzgerald, and Jerron Brown had a pretty good game too. Does it make those guys unusable that you don't really know where the ball is going? Or... Does Fitzgerald get enough of the targets where you're comfortable with him, but just no one else? Yeah, I mean, generally, I think he does. Just the issue is that it, there's just not a lot of value there. I just think the Eagles are a very mediocre defense. They're 17th this year overall, 17th against the pass, 15th against the run. And then also that the Cardinals are just kind of mediocrely price, at medium price, like everybody's mid-tier. So I just think that's all very fair pricing. So not a lot of value there. Like Fitzgerald would still be the number one. I think J.J. Nelson was used more as the number four wide receiver last week with both the Browns being the second and third receiver. And then even though Fitzgerald didn't have a great game last week, he's still clearly the number one. He had the game-winning touchdown catch. So if you're going to use somebody, Fitzgerald would still be the guy. But I don't really think that he's the great play this week. I don't have as much interest in him as I did last week. He's 6,800, so he's more expensive and a more difficult matchup. All right, fair enough. I guess, yeah, let's move on to the next game. The next game is, as I bring it up on the website, oh, here's an interesting one. Buffalo Bills at the Cincinnati Bengals. Matt, what is the info here? All right, this is going to be my favorite game to talk about in terms of the sharp money for this week. The public likes the Bills a lot. Maybe you can help me figure out why. I don't really get it. Well, actually, I do kind of get it. The Bills are 3-1, and one and they're leading the AFC East. I don't think they've played particularly well. Well, at least not offensively. The Bills' defense has actually been quite good this year. They probably are overachieving a little bit, but kind of just speculating there. They've played well defensively. 
they're probably not a great team, but they are leading the AFC East, and that's a division that has the New England Patriots. So I guess I do understand where the public is coming from, but the Bengals opened at minus one, are now up to minus three with juice on their side, so they're trending towards three and a half. The total opened at 38 and a half. It's now up to 39 and a half. So while the Bills' defense probably is very good, I think it's a bit overvalued right now. And Greg and I were actually talking about this before we started. Is there value on the Bengals because the Vegas line underrates them? And I think we're probably in agreement that the answer is not really. Vegas just kind of mispriced them off the bat. So if you bet the Bengals at Pick'em or minus one or whatever, good for you. That was a good bet. But I don't think that that really translates to their DFS production, especially because A.J. Green is still pretty expensive. Yeah, so the biggest issue is just the Buffalo Bills defense this year. Number one overall in DVOA. They've been third against the pass, ninth against the rush. So it's a good defense. So Andy Dalton is pretty cheap. But it's still like if you're using him, maybe you go Tyler Croft because he was really good last week. He got a lot of targets. He's still really cheap at 3400 So I think he makes a little bit of sense as a punt tight end. But this should still be a really low-scoring game. The Bengals' offensive line has been abysmal this year. Uh, I saw a thing earlier. Joe Mixon has had the least amount of yardage before contact this year of any running back in the league. So basically what that means is as soon as he's touching the ball, he's getting touched by the defensive line, and there's no space for him to run at all. So there's just not really an avenue for success for him or that running game as a whole. So this is a game I'm probably going to be staying away from. If I had the roster, somebody would be Tyler Croft as a cheap tight end. But this should be a pretty low-scoring game, around 40 or so total points. I think it does make sense to go the Dalton-Croft route for GBP upside. You mentioned Dalton being underpriced. He's not that expensive. Maybe there is some upside for A.J. Green. So I guess because he's so expensive and because the Bills' defense has such a strong reputation— He'll probably have very low ownership. Could be a little bit off there because A.J. Green still has the name recognition, so he might get some ownership just because of that. But I think the guy to look at as the low ownership play for the game is Dalton because there are just a lot of big-name quarterbacks in better spots, and Dalton might not be in as bad of a spot as it seems. So I'm comfortable saying he's undervalued, and I think he makes sense to at least consider as a GPP flyer. I don't know that he's someone you definitely should use, but someone to think about. I think it's, Here's where I'm going to disagree, though. He's yeah, not that cheap. He's 6000 Yeah, there's how many quarterbacks are cheaper than that, though? Uh, that's like, I think he's like right in the middle of all the quarterback pricing. I guess most of the quarterbacks who are cheaper than him don't have a receiver like A.J. Green, and that's kind of a guy who's sort of matchup-proof. But, I guess like, I would just much rather spend a little bit extra money and use Le'Veon Bell. No, that definitely makes sense. I mean, you could use both of them. Um, but I, I do think the Bengals are slightly undervalued at certain positions for their price, and I think they'll be slightly under-owned. But I guess what I'm concluding is that it still probably isn't worth using them because even if they're a little, little undervalued, their expected output is still pretty low. All right, so next game on the slate, another barn burner. New York Jets at Cleveland Browns. Uh, just a heads up, foot, uh, Pro Football Focus actually has the Browns expected to be two-point favorites in this game. I'd be curious what Vegas has for it. Vegas has this game at Pick'em. The Browns open at minus one. 
the public bet this game towards the Jets. This is crazy. 73% of the spread bets are on the Jets and 68% of the money line bets are on the Jets. If you would have said that before the season that the Jets would be getting three quarters of the betting in a game, I think we probably would have called each other crazy because there's just no way that public sentiment was going to shift in favor of the Jets, but it actually has after they've won two games in a row. So people actually think the Jets are a decent team now. I definitely don't think the Jets are a decent team, although they probably are better than the Browns. But I don't know. Pickham might be a fair line. Maybe pro football focus is right to have this game as a projected two-point spread. But it's definitely clear that the public is overvaluing the Jets a bit. Yeah, I think uh, well, just because it's supposed to be so low scoring, I don't really think that this game makes a ton of sense to roster anybody from a DFS perspective. Uh, I think Deshaun Kaiser makes sense as just a naked quarterback play just because he is really cheap. Kaiser is, uh, what is, I think he was 5,400 or 50. Yeah, Kaiser's 5,500 against the Jets defense, which is still below average defense. They're in the bottom third of the league. And then on top of that, like Kaiser just has a very fantasy-friendly game. He runs a lot. He has two rushing touchdowns for the first four games. He's the Browns' leading rusher this year. So the Jets are also 27th against the run this year. I don't really know how that converts to quarterback running, except it's still, I think, this plays in Kaiser's favor. He makes sense as a naked quarterback play. And then the other thing also about the Browns this game is that Miles Garrett is finally making his NFL debut this week. I think there's a pretty good chance that he's already the most valuable player on the Browns, despite never playing a single NFL game yet. So that's a big boost to them. I, I, I liked the Browns to win this game. And I, I think that uh, Kaiser is like a naked quarterback play in some sense. But other than that, not a ton of interest in rostering anybody in this. All right, I'll clarify two things. Any talk of Andy Dalton will now be over for me because I'm realizing Kaiser is cheaper. And I agree with you. He's a pretty decent play. I like him better than Dalton. So we won't mention him again. And I think Bilal Powell will probably get some decent ownership. We were talking about this before the podcast too. Complete fade there. His ownership... Should be too high just because of how good he was last week. He took advantage of a really bad Jaguars run defense. Much tougher matchup this week, especially with Garrett playing, as you mentioned. And this game probably is a complete fade on both sides, with the exception of maybe Kaiser. All right. Well, I'm really excited to talk about our next game because this is arguably our biggest hit of last week. The Carolina Panthers at the Detroit Lions, the rejuvenated Cam Newton. (laughs) The man with one arm who everybody decided could no longer throw a football, which might be true, but the Patriots' pass defense has been awful, historically bad. They sucked again last week. They lost to the Panthers. But here we have Panthers at Lions. What is the info for this game, Matt? I think we should harp on this for a second. Let's just talk about how smart we were for saying that Cam Newton was going to put up nearly 40 fantasy points. That's what we predicted, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. The, the other thing also is I think he did finish as the highest the highest scorer on the entire slate, which we definitely didn't expect that to happen. But it wasn't that we were high on the Panthers as much as it was just an indictment on the Patriots' defense and just that he was really cheap. And the price has been way overcorrected this week because Cam Newton has gone from being really cheap to being the fifth most expensive quarterback on the slate. So that's where we're at with him now. What is the spread and who's favored, Matt? All right, so the Lions are minus two and a half. This line opened at three and a half, but it's actually bet, been bet down a little bit. The public isn't on Carolina, though, so I'm not sure what that correction is for. And the total is at 43 and a half. I don't think we're looking at 
a lot of betting information here. There's just not really a lot to see at this point in the week for this game. I'm not really sure why. Just low volume of bets, perhaps, or just kind of even on both sides. So nothing really to see. By the way, uh, at the last thing on Cam Newton before you comment is we were texting during that game, and I think we realized that during last week's podcast, we at no point even remotely alluded to Cam Newton being good now. All of our commentary was about how bad the Patriots' defense is, and I think all of our justification for using him was the Panthers are playing a bad defense and will probably be losing the whole game. So don't don't uh, take our analysis as we like Cam Newton now, we think he's good. I think it makes sense to just completely avoid him in this spot. Yeah, and it's just it's just a pricing situation. The, the Lions actually have had a decent defense this year. They're fifth overall in DVOA, uh, fifth against the pass, 14th against the run. Cam Newton is way priced up because of his game from last week. It just, it, this doesn't make a lot of sense for me to roster him. Like you said, there was a no point where like Cam Newton's really good now. Anybody who faded Cam Newton last week, if you're playing him this week, it just makes zero sense. He's more expensive. He's a more difficult matchup. It, it, it's just silly to me. Like, if you played Cam Newton last week just because your opinion was Cam Newton is actually good, and I think that he's going to turn it around, like, then maybe if you're still just of the opinion Cam Newton's a good quarterback, maybe he makes sense. I'm totally off the Panthers in this game. Uh, I'm, I'm off the lines, too. I don't really think there's a ton of interest here. The Panthers have had a good defense this week, bringing up the, I mean, this year. Panthers defense overall, 6th in DVOA, 12th against the pass, 13th against the run. It's another just plus defense. So as of right now, this is just overall a stay-away game for me. Would you Do you have anything else to add? No, I think that we can conclude talking about Cam Newton. And, yeah, it makes sense to kind of fade this game because pricing over corrections. I mean, in general, you probably just don't want to play guys the week after they were the highest-scoring player. I know we're going that route with Le'Veon Bell, but we have a much more proven track record there. Cam Newton came out of nowhere to have the highest scoring game of the week. Well, at least nowhere for most people, but we sort of thought it could be possible. Anyway, yeah, guys like Cam Newton, Bilal Powell, who are way more expensive this week just because of what they did last week, I think. In most circumstances, you just avoid those guys. So, yeah, that, that's all I got for this game. Okay, another another weird game coming next that. Why are all of the worst teams in the NFL playing each other this week? The next game on the schedule, the 49ers at the Colts. There are going to be so many unwatchable games this weekend. Matt, what's the spread for this game? Okay, the Colts are minus one and a half. Line is still there. I think basically just no one's betting on this game. The total has gone up from 43 to 44, though. And not exactly sure why. There could be some sharp action on the over here. I don't think it's much of a testament to these teams having good offenses Maybe Jacoby Brissett is a little bit better than we initially thought, and maybe Colts receivers can do well with him as the quarterback. I think most people were very anti using T.Y. Hilton at the beginning of the season, but he's done pretty well even with Brissett and not Andrew Luck as the quarterback. Um, So maybe these offenses are slightly undervalued, but other than that, there's not much here. Yeah, so one thing that's interesting is these defenses are both really bad. The Colts' defense is 26th in DVOA, 24th against the pass, 23 against the run. San Francisco, 26th in DVOA, 26 against the pass, 12 against the run. Everybody's super cheap for this game. So I think Brissett to T.Y. Hilton makes some sense. I think that um, Carlos Hyde makes sense. I think 
Pierre Garçon, who's been decent this year, makes some sense because these defenses are just bad. Like the offenses aren't good either, but the the defenses are worse than what the offenses are. So I, I think that there's some value in some of these players just because of how cheap they are. Uh, I think t- definitely uh, T.Y. Hilton is, I think, my favorite play on either side. Uh, Brissett, let's see, Carlos Hyde is priced at 6900 He's currently questionable to play, but at, at 6900 Carlos Hyde in a plus matchup. He scored uh, 13 fantasy points, 20, 25, 15 fantasy points across his games this year. So, I mean, those are all at least decent results at 6900 for a plus matchup. I'm, I could get on board with Carlos Hyde, Pierre Garçon, Jacoby Brissett, T.Y. Hilton. I think there's some value here. Do you think that this is sort of a similar thing that we discuss in baseball where when, I think you used to say when a bad pitcher is facing a bad offense, there's some extra variance and one of them will probably do well. Kind of the same thing for football where when two shitty teams play each other, we could have a higher scoring game than people expect. More turnovers, more good field position, more just unknown and maybe broken plays where there could be extra randomness and extra upside. Yeah, I mean, there, there's also just it comes a point where I think a lot of people see, like, oh, that's a bad offense, I'm going to avoid them. But then people also say, oh, it's a bad defense, so I'm going to avoid that. But something has to give. Like, something something is going to happen in the game. Either, like, one side's going to win out. And to me, it's just the offense is being fairly cheap-priced. And T.Y. Hilton is still, a, is still a really good football player. Like, I was definitely down on him at the beginning of the year, but part of it was because Scott Tolzien was the quarterback. And I do think Brissett is a pretty sizable upgrade over Tolzien. And also Brissett does have a little bit of an unknown quality where like Tolzien coming in, I was very confident that Tolzien was bad. Whereas Brissett, I think Brissett probably isn't good, but he might be decent. So at least there, there's some intrigue where maybe he is an okay player against a bad defense. Yeah, I think that's a good point. The game still will play even though the teams suck. I think in most people's minds, this game just doesn't even exist because the teams are so bad. Like, they kind of view the game as they're just going to go back and forth kicking field goals the whole time, and no one's going to gain any yards. But I think that someone will probably gain some yards. And why why not T.Y. Hilton? So the next game on the schedule, the Tennessee Titans at the Miami Dolphins. Uh, one thing that obviously is big news for this game and has a lot of sway is that Marcus Mariota, hamstring injury left last week's game and he's questionable to play and expected to be a game time decision so it's very likely we won't know whether Mariota's in or out until Sunday morning so with that said is there even a spread for this game right now Matt? no because Mariota's out we don't have a line yet I think that well five dimes is actually that's the one casino that sports insights is tracking that ha- that is showing a line I don't think it's open as in I don't think it's available for bet but they're they're showing the line I think that that line implies that Mariota is out. So if Mariota is out, the Titans will be minus one and a half, roughly. And if he's in, they're probably a bit bigger favorites. But I think that the Dolphins are pretty undervalued here, especially, obviously, if Mariota doesn't play, but maybe even if he does play. So, I don't know. Do you you like the Dolphins side of this game, too? Is that probably where you're going here? Well, I like the Dolphins side a lot more if Mariota doesn't play. So here's the deal with the Dolphins this year. The Dolphins' defense has been bad. They're 29th overall in DVA, but they're 31st against the pass and 2nd against the run. So if Mariota doesn't play, and that means Matt Castle is a starting quarterback, Matt Castle sucks. So I think the idea that the Titans now 
are facing a team that's very good against the run but not good against the pass, and they're using a quarterback who can't really throw the football, I think that this is a spot where the Dolphins' defense actually could make some sense as a low-owned GPP play. And then also from the Dolphins, they're only 2700 and then And they're also the cheapest offense on FanDuel. And then from the Dolphins' side of the game, Jay Ajayi, who was one of the most expensive running backs in DFS for all of last year, and then started the off pretty well. Dolphins' first game of the year had over 120 rushing yards. And then the Dolphins just got destroyed in weeks two and uh, their second and third games of the year. So Jay Ajayi has only seen 23 carries the last two games. He hasn't been bad. He just hasn't had the opportunity to touch the ball at all. So you consider somebody who's had a lot of success uh, in last season and is priced all the way down at 6600 in a plus matchup. And also, game script could favor him if Matt Castle's starting and there's a pretty good chance that the Dolphins end up being favored and get out to a lead and they're just going to be pounding the ball to Jay Ajayi. Tennessee's defense this year is... 31st overall, 29th against the pass, 21 against the run. This is just a really good spot for JHI. He's one of my – you can't really consider somebody 6,600 a value play just because of not having a cheap price tag, but I think there's a ton of value in his price tag. So to me, it seems to make a lot of sense to use essentially all in a Jaya if Mariota isn't playing, but still a good amount of exposure if Mariota is playing because that game script point definitely is relevant there's a lot more likelihood that the Dolphins would be playing with a lead at the end of the game if Mariota's not in. So how much exposure do you think you'll have to him in the two circumstances? So it's hard to put an exact number on it now just because there are still a lot of injury situations up in the air. But I think it's fair to say that he ends up in like 75% plus of my lineups, if not all of them, if Mariota ends up being out just because of what his price is and how good of a situation, how good of a spot that is. So I think that's just a really strong play. And then it's really hard to recommend anybody on the Titans offense not knowing if Mariota is going to play and how healthy he's going to be if he does play. So for now, I think that's a stay away unless we get some kind of differing information. Yeah, I think that makes sense. So we can conclude something like all in Ajayi or close to it if Mariota is out and then a good amount of him even if he's in. But it could even be more than that. He might make sense to use in every lineup regardless. Next game on the slate, two more terrible football teams going head-to-head. The Los Angeles Chargers against the New York Giants. <laughs> this, uh, I mean, I don't know how this has worked out where just all these shitty teams are playing each other, but there's going to be a little, just just another terrible game here. What is the spread for this game, Matt? Okay, the Giants. Let's see. This line open at three and a half. It's hovering around three and a half, trending a little bit towards three. Usually just see a lot of juice on the lines that are at three points. Um, yeah, they're, they're not wavering off the number, but the odds that you have to light to bet it are changing quite a bit. This will be one of the more heavily bet games of the week just because Giants games always are heavily bet. I think it kind of makes sense in general that you'll see more ownership from Giants games than you'd expect just looking at where the public is because the public just gives more attention to the Giants. I guess there are a lot of Giants fans. But anyway, the line is at three or so in favor of the Giants. The total went up from 43.5 to 44.5. I think it's actually at 45 now. I don't know if this is because JPP might not play. It could be just because these offenses were initially undervalued, but there is some action on the over here. Yeah, so uh, this game's pretty interesting to me. 
Because, well, for one, just as somebody who is somewhat of a Giants fan has been forced to watch all their games this year just because out of obligation, they've been really, they've been really not good this year. But the one thing that's been surprising is I didn't really expect their offense to be really good this year. But the one thing I did think is, hey, the Giants are going to have a good defense this year. Well, through four games, the Giants' defense is 28th in DVOA, 25th against the pass, 31st against the run. Their defense has sucked. And a lot of that has been because Jason Pierre-Paul has been non-existent. He has not been a factor this year. He, I can't even remember him making a decent play. I don't think that's a stat that anybody keeps track of, but I'll, I'll, I'll put that down as a JPP stat. No decent plays from Jason Pierre-Paul this year. There's, there's a stat. So another thing to take note of the Giants this week is who's going to start at running back for them. So uh, Orleans Dark was questionable. Paul Perkins is questionable, which would leave him with just Shane Vereen and Gallman, the rookie running back. Gallman came in in the fourth quarter last week and played really well down the stretch. He ended up getting 11 carries for 42 yards, two catches for eight yards, and a touchdown. So he was pretty involved, and he also looked pretty good to me. He was pretty athletic. He was quick. Uh, he was good in the passing game, obviously. He was able to have a couple of catches. So if he's going to be the starter at 3,900, I think that's a good situation. And then from the Chargers side of the game, uh, a lot of their passing game is a little bit priced up now. But... Uh, what was the exact uh, Melvin Gordon all the way down at 6,000. So I know that the perceptions that the Giants have a really good run defense, but through four games ranked 31 in DVOA against the run Melvin Gordon all the way down to 6,000 for this matchup. Melvin Gordon, who just gets a ton of touches every game, who if the Chargers get down to like first and goal from the one, it's just four run plays up the middle to Melvin Gordon. And that's how they're going to score. Just every single time he gets all the red zone touches. He gets Last year had more red zone touches than any other running back in the NFL. Him all the way down at 6,000, that's another strong value play. So I think we have to wait to see what the info is on Gallman and then uh, with Melvin Gordon also. I think uh, I think he's definitely going to be in play. And then from the Giants passing game, we'll have to see right now with Odell Beckham. Uh, sprained, re-sprained his ankle last week, dislocated a finger. I, I have a feeling he's not going to be 100% healthy. He could have a little bit of limited snap counts, but also we have to wait on more information. So that could be a stay-away game also. And if, if Beckham isn't healthy, then obviously can't target Eli Manning either. Yeah, I think the issue that you raised that I'm having the most trouble figuring out is the Giants' defense, specifically their football outsiders ranking in DVOA. Because even though they've been the 27th-ranked defense this year, they're 22nd in Dave, which is the combination of current DVOA and preseason projected DVOA. Which so is still I, pretty bad. It's pretty bad still, but I think it's fair to say the Giants are underachieving defensively, although they may not be underachieving by that much. So to call the Giants a really good run defense is probably wrong right now, but to call them a really bad run defense might be wrong also. I think they probably lean towards the negative side, but there's so much that we don't know right now. Four games is just not a tremendous sample, and football seasons just don't have a tremendous sample in general. It's really hard to figure out how good a defense is, especially when it's only been a quarter of the season. But I think the logic on Melvin Gordon makes sense regardless. Even if the Giants' run defense is decent, he's underpriced and figures to get a ton of touches. So best case, it's an unbelievable play if the Giants are the worst worst run defense like they've been. But worst case, I think it's still a decent play. So I'm with you on Gordon. So the next game on the schedule, the Seattle Seahawks at the Los Angeles Rams. The Seahawks have been overall a pretty disappointing team this year. 
not been as good as people think, but we've seen this from the last few years, but they kind of get off to a bad start and people say, oh, maybe they aren't that good and then they end up being better. So we'll see how it plays out the rest of the year. I do, th- I do think that the Rams are a legitimately decent team. So I think this should be a pretty close competitive game, and this will be infinitely more watchable than some of the other games we talked about. Which team is favored in this one, Matt? Okay, the Rams are one-point favorites. I think the line opened at one, and the Rams were bet up initially to around two, maybe it reached two and a half, and now it's back down to one. So we might have been looking at some early sharp money on the Rams, and I agree with you that the Rams probably are a decent team. They actually rank third in DVOA this year. In Dave, they are 13th. So that's probably a pretty good indication of their success going forward, what it will be. And Aaron Donald played his first game of the season last week. Is that – did he play the no, entire – No, no, no. It was, it was his first unrestricted game. He's played the last three weeks. Okay. But he was on, he was on a snap count. So he played something like uh, 60% of the snaps two weeks ago – or three weeks ago – then two weeks ago, he was up to like 80%, and last week he was full go. Okay, so let me correct that, actually. The Rams have been the 13th. The Rams are 13th in defensive, Dave. In overall, Dave, they are still 24th. Uh, let me make sure that that's right, because... No, the number three ranking was the number. Okay, the Rams are third in Dave, now that we have that figured out. the Football Outsiders expects the Rams to actually be a very good team going forward which is probably surprising to a lot of people, and it's also surprising considering that they were only small favorites against the Colts in Week 1. This is something we were talking about before the podcast. And the Rams just obliterated the Colts. They've played well overall. And the Seahawks might just be worse than we thought they were. But this is a game that figures to have a lot of public interest because the Seahawks are a popular team. I think the line looks intriguing for a lot of people. The Seahawks did really well last week, so... With the concerns at running back two, which I'm sure you'll get to, there's just a lot to look at in this game. Um, so I wouldn't expect to get any players here at really low ownership, but I don't know that that would really be a factor anyway because it figures to be a pretty low-scoring game. Yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of people who want to roster Todd Gurley anyway just because he's been so good to start the year. But, I mean, it's still like if I'm paying up at running back, I just think Le'Veon Bell is the way to go. And it's just still – it's. Uh, it's a negative matchup for Gurley. Like, I don't want to pay 8000 for Gurley against uh, the Seahawks' defense. It should be a pretty fairly low-paced game. And the other thing, too, so the Seahawks' running back situation, uh, Chris Carson uh, broke his ankle last week. He could be out for the full season. He was placed on the injured reserve. He's certainly at least going to miss a lot of time. So I think a lot of people are going to be saying, well, where's the, where's the value in this one, then? Well, here's the thing. Chris Carson was not expected to be the starting running back this year. The running back situation was supposed to be Thomas Rawls was starting, C.J. Procease was going to be the third down running back. Well, neither Rawls nor Procease have played at all this year. They've both been hurt. They're both questionable on Sunday, except both trending towards playing. So Eddie Lacy got a decent amount of snaps last week. People are going to want to play McKissick, who scored two touchdowns. Uh, one of them came in garbage time last week. But, I mean, if you look at that, there's potential all four of those running backs get snaps and get touches. It's just going to be impossible to figure out which one of them is going to be getting the lion's share of the of the carries. And it could be none of them. It could just be four guys play, four guys maybe get like five to eight touches each, and there's just not going to be any value there, even at the cheap price tag. So unless Rawls and Procease are both out and we definitively hear like Lacey starting or McKissick starting, like, I think that's an easy enough situation to stay away from. I, I don't have a lot of interest in this game overall. 
And do you think it's also fair to assume that the Rams' defense will be better going forward? I think a lot of people may look at what Ezekiel Elliott did against them last week and say this is a bad defense, especially against the run. But it seems like, especially with Donald being unrestricted now and just they've kind of underperformed defensively, do you think the defense should be better going forward? Yeah, and the other thing too is, so like Ezekiel Elliott had a very good fantasy game last week, and this is something that I will overlook sometimes is like, even if I'll say, like, oh, this guy isn't really in a great situation, sometimes volume just overcomes that. And so it was what happened last week was Ezekiel Elliott had, I think it was like 25 carries for 85 yards, something around there. That's a fairly inefficient game, and I would consider it to be a win for the run defense. But with that said, Elliott scored two touchdowns just because of the amount of volume he had. So it was still overall a good game for the Rams' run defense. It just so happened to be that Ezekiel Elliott scored two touchdowns. This is still another game where... I think this should be a fairly good run defense with Aaron Donald and just facing a four running back tandem where it's going to be difficult to figure out where the snaps are cut, where the who's going to be playing snaps, who's going to be getting touches. So overall, this game, as of now, is a fade for me unless we definitively hear, like, hey, these two Seahawks running backs are out because then there's going to be value. All right, yeah, that makes sense. So Seahawks running backs only if we can get some clarity on their depth chart for the game. But it does kind of sound like we're not going to have that clarity. So I'm pretty much in agreement with you on full fade there. Uh, So another game that's just going to be shit to watch. The Baltimore Ravens at the Oakland Raiders. uh, Derek Carr, some kind of broken back, something or other. I'm I'm not a not a medical professional, but he has a back injury and he's out two to four weeks. EJ Manuel, who we decide, who everybody knew was bad four years ago, is now starting for the Raiders at quarterback, and the Ravens have the second best defense by DVOA in the NFL this year. This is probably the most likely game to be under forty points on the slate. Matt, what is the over under and spread for this game? This game has some really strange line movement. It opened at exactly Pick'em, but the Raiders are up to minus 2.5, even up to minus 3 at some places now. It might just be because the Ravens' offense is really bad. So the total in this game opened at 40. It's now down to 39. I think there's no indication that we should expect a lot from Oakland's offense. That's probably not the reason for the line movement. The Ravens' defense is really good, and the Raiders' offense figures to be really bad without Derek Carr. So the value in this game might actually be on the Raiders defense, even though it's not a particularly good defense. I think Flacco might have, it's so hard to make sense of Joe Flacco because he's been so up and down throughout his career, but this particular Ravens offense might just be bad enough that there actually could be some value on playing the Raiders defense. I still prefer the Ravens defense though. I mean, the Ravens defense second in DVOA, EJ Manuel has not been good this year. Uh, Well, I mean, not been good ever really I, I definitely think that he's going to be mistake prone they're both priced the same at 2900 the other thing to consider uh, Michael Crabtree questionable play with an injury Amari Cooper has been awful this year he leads the NFL in drops he has seven drops of the Raiders first four games so when you consider that Crabtree might not be pray, playing and you're just left with Amari Cooper who's by uh, pro football focus been one of the five worst starting wide receivers in the NFL this year uh, I, I just think this is a really strong spot for the Ravens' defense. I just don't see how the Raiders are going to put points on the board. Yeah, I definitely agree that the Ravens' defense is good to use. I guess I'm not sure if I prefer the Raiders' defense or the Ravens' defense, but I think both definitely make for pretty good defense plays. Um, yeah, I think I just I, I'll side with the I'll side with the Ravens in this one at the same price. 
just because they're better and just of how bad Manuel is. So even though Flacco hasn't played well this year and he's been very up and down throughout his entire career and all the jokes about is Joe Flacco elite and whatever, the reality is that no matter what you think of Joe Flacco, I think that everybody come to consensus that he is a better quarterback than EJ Manuel. And I still do think that the Ravens' defense is better than the Raiders' defense. The Raiders' defense this year is... 27th in DVOA, 28th against the pass, 16th against the run. I I just think this is a really good spot for the Ravens' day. Yeah, I guess the issue is how much does home field advantage sway this in Oakland's favor. And the Vegas line movement is concerning. So I I don't know, maybe we'll see some more movement back towards the Ravens as we get closer to Sunday. But there's absolutely no disagreement for me on using Baltimore's defense. I think I may end up agreeing with you that the Ravens are a better play, but... This figures to be a very low-scoring game, and I don't think it makes sense to roster any offensive players from it. All right, final game on the slate, and this is going to be the best game to stack. Uh, we have the Green Bay Packers at the Dallas Cowboys. This figures to be the highest-scoring game on the slate. Uh, is that true, Matt? Is this a highest over-under? Yeah, and I don't actually think it's close. So the total opened at 53.5. That number was probably a bit high. It's been bet down to 52 now, even though 74% of the bets are on the over. But I think that that's still the highest total by, it's by four and a half points. So yeah, we should see a lot of points here. I think there could be some value on the Cowboys. The public really likes the Packers. And it probably is because of the Cowboys losing this past week and how well the Packers played on their recent Thursday night game. The Packers also have more rest going into this game. But I don't think that that's actually really relevant. Statistically, uh, Football Outsiders has done some studies on the stats for this, and teams on longer rest or even shorter rest generally are only impacted by the rest change if they're at home for their upcoming game. So the fact that the Packers have to travel for this game might offset the extra rest they have for it, but that certainly isn't to say that I don't like Green Bay for this game. I think both offenses should do well. I think... If I had to say who's going to win the game, it would be Dallas, but we might be looking at more production from the Packers' side in terms of their high-end fantasy players just because we know that Aaron Rodgers is going to throw a lot. We don't necessarily know that Dak Prescott will throw a lot, but there's probably value in using both sides of this game for DFS purposes. Yeah, definitely. And then especially the injury situation for the Packers is just absurd right now. In terms of Ty Montgomery last week, uh, rib injury, and immediately they said broken ribs, out, extended period of time, not going to play. Then Tom Montgomery came out after and said, not true, my ribs aren't broken, it's just bruised, I'm going to play. And then he got upgraded to, okay, Tom Montgomery's playing. Then later in the day, Tom Montgomery goes for x-rays, broken ribs, he's out for Sunday, hopes to come back soon. Then another report comes out today, Tom Montgomery. Uh, it's, just, it's just a pain tolerance thing, the doctors say, I can't do any more damage to him. So if I could deal with the pain I'm playing, I want to suit up on Sunday. So we don't know what's going on with him right now. And the other thing also is the backup running back, Jamal Williams. He was initially ruled out with a knee injury. Now it looks like he might be playing. So we have no clue what's going on in the Packers' uh, run game situation. If both of them do get ruled out, then Aaron Jones is going to be a decent value play. But we don't know that as of right now. The other thing also, Devontae Adams obviously had that just uh, really dirty hit that he took from Danny Trevathan. Trevathan got suspended. Uh, Adams was diagnosed with a concussion. He was originally listed as doubtful. He's been upgraded to questionable. 
So still very 50-50 whether he could play or not. If he isn't able to play, then Geronimo Allison's pretty cheap. He's down at 4,400. He makes sense as a value play. Uh, Jordy Nelson's going to get extra targets. Randall Cobb's going to get extra targets. That passing game's in play anyway. Uh, Rodgers is obviously in play as well in this situation. And if Adams does happen to be out, I mean, just all those guys are going to be such strong plays. Nelson, Cobb. Geronimo Allison is a cheap wide receiver. We just have to wait to hear from uh, the just injury updates. And then from the Cowboys side of the game, too, uh, I mean, I, I do think that Ezekiel Elliott would make some sense in this situation, other than that I would just prefer to pay up for Le'Veon Bell. And then I do think that the Cowboys passing game makes more sense than the run game. So the biggest reason why is Des Bryant is priced all the way down at 6500 this is a really favorable matchup for him. And to be at 6,500, which should be a really high-paced, high-scoring game, that's just a really strong value spot. So I prefer Des Bryant to Dak Prescott combination. Makes more sense to me than rostering Ezekiel Elliott. And then the other one also is uh, Cole Beasley down at 4,100. I think he makes some sense as a value play. He hasn't been super involved yet this year. But we saw it last year. Cole Beasley was pretty involved in the offense. He was somebody who was pretty regularly priced in the mid to high 5,000 range. Just seem all the way down to 4,100. I think he makes some sense as a value play in this spot also. So, I mean, this is this is the best game to stack on the slate. We just have to wait on some of that injury information. Yeah, it definitely makes sense to go with the Dallas passing game compared to their running game just because of the prices. I don't think there's too much about this game that suggests that Dallas will pass more than they run. They don't figure to be losing yeah, they're favored in the game. It's not like the game script probably will favor them passing the ball. I think even if Green Bay is airing it out, Dallas will still be running a good amount. I think what you're saying about the prices, though, is the biggest factor where Elliott is expensive, Le'Veon Bell is only slightly more expensive, and Des Bryant is relatively cheap. So I'm with you on the Dallas passing game because of that. But if you're going for a game stack here, what do you think the logic is for rostering Rodgers versus Prescott. If you're going to use receivers from both teams, how do you make the determination of which quarterback to use? Or do you just make a few different lineups and have exposure to both? Yeah, I think it definitely makes sense to have exposure to both. But then there's also a situation where if, say, Devontae Adams is out and Ty Montgomery is out, then we could really safely project that there's just going to be a ton of targets going the way of Geronimo Allison, Jordy Nelson, Randall Cobb. And if you're going to roster like two of those receivers... It just doesn't make a ton of sense to roster two receivers from one team without their quarterback. So in that situation where there's going to be so much value on the Packers wide receivers, and obviously their production correlates to Aaron Rodgers' production, it just makes a lot of sense to make those lines where it's like, hey, I'm going Aaron Rodgers, Geronimo Allison, Randall Cobb, and then da- and then uh, Des Bryant on the other side of the game. So, I mean, that, that type of a situation to set up a stack just makes a lot of sense. All right, that uh, that makes a ton of sense to me, and that's our last game of the slate, right? We don't have the Sunday night game yet again? No Sunday night game, no Monday night game. Uh, as of right now, it looks like the Sunday night game will not be coming back to the main slate on DraftKings. So that'll wind up, that will wind down today's podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at GRNBergDFS. Matt's Twitter handle is at PreachingSense, and we'll be back for week six next week.